Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Don Mazzella, and I am your host for a program devoted to identifying strategies and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are other entrepreneurs and experts offering their solutions to the problems and opportunities facing small business leaders. Our aim in each program is to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas or suggestions. So follow us on Twitter at hashtag 2SBDigest or at our website at www.smallbusinessdigest.net. Well, welcome to today's program. We we have a a really great guest uh, waiting in the wings, Joe Whaley. He's a West Point graduate who has his own chocolate company. But in the meantime, uh, we're going to play one of our uh, better interviews and hope you enjoy it until he can join us. Our next guest is Terry Lutz. Uh, He's here because he's got some interesting opinions that uh, I, I thought our audience should know a little bit about. And so without further ado, I'm going to introduce Terry and ask him the usual question I ask every one of our guests. Tell us a little bit about yourself personally before we go into anything else. Uh, sure. Uh, yeah, more than happy. And thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on here. And uh, it's really uh honor to be uh on your show here and yeah so basically uh i'm a radio show talk host myself been an attorney a serial entrepreneur and i'm pretty much uh don just somebody like yourself who's concerned about the direction of the country who's really alarmed that the uh pretty much the progressive left has been able to do what they've done without any serious debate or discussion about their objectives. And, you know, the latest example of what's happened with these so-called police killings is just a perfect example of, uh, of how the country has gone, um, gone down this path to what probably is chaos and destruction without a serious uh, debate and without any serious understanding of of what exactly is going on. Well, you know, uh, this is this is our first program uh, in 2000, and certainly 2014 was uh, very interesting. What do you see happening based on all this as we enter the new year? Yeah, well, well, you know, it's interesting. Um, you know, I think uh, the Republicans taking over the Senate and the House, if they don't use their power to uh, confront the uh, president at every opportunity, it will be power that's more or less useless. If they're just going to join him at the table and allow him to circumvent the Constitution, uh, which is what the uh, presidents have been doing for the past 50 years in one form or another, you know, then what was the point of the whole endeavor? 
we're just going to get more of the same. And I don't see them. Uh, I don't see them defunding Obamacare. I think it. I think uh, what he says, the president says, is true. That it is the law of the land. That nobody is stepping up to the plate, and um, you know they're not going to do it. And okay, so the reason they were elected in 2010 and why the House turned Republican was to get rid of Obamacare, and they did absolutely nothing towards that end. The reason, a large reason why the Senate has been uh, turned Republican is to get rid of Obamacare and other, other objectives, other policies that have been implemented by the president that the country finds obnoxious and repugnant. And if they're not going to do it now, when are they going to do it? And the answer is probably never. And at the rate they're going, I think that the country is heading towards a third party. And, you know, it's uh, where we go from then is anybody's guess. Well, uh, I happen to share some of your views uh, on uh, on what's happening. And uh, I think, uh, you know, we're, we're all speculating on what the Republicans uh, will do. Uh, I seem to have a, um, a little bit more faith in Mitch McConnell and uh, the Speaker that they will be able to uh, demonstrate that the Republicans can govern and and uh, say, you don't throw everything out of uh, the baby with the bathwater, as we used to say, but maybe there are parts that we say. But... Um, you know, we're facing a new reality now with the uh, president's deal on uh, 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 recognizing Cuba. Uh, you know, as someone told me recently, uh, it's his uh, gambit to solidify the democratic support by Latinos. How do you feel about that? Well, you know... Um it's a policy that goes back to Kennedy, uh, to the Kennedy administration, and the uh, actually, I guess maybe it goes back to Eisenhower. I don't know. I think Kennedy did the embargo, uh, kind of when I was uh, in diapers. But uh, whenever it goes back to, um, you know, let's face it, uh, hasn't been successful in bringing down the Castros. Um, probably it was time to get rid of it. And at this point, uh, you know, the country is 90 miles off the coast of the U.S., and maybe having waves of American tourists with the latest technology and uh, with dollars is going to do more to undermine the, uh, the communist uh, regime there, the Castro regime or the post-Castro regime, than anything else. But thinking that just banning trade with Cuba is going to somehow uh, put an end to that regime just ain't going to happen. And, you know, but on the other hand, having this guy do it unilaterally without any discussion with anybody is not the way that America, you know, important American foreign policy should be decided. Let's face it. Right. I mean, it just shouldn't be done this way. And uh, it's just like immigration and other things you know, he's got a pen and he's got a phone and he just does things. And although the embargo is certainly an example of executive action, 
uh, I don't remember if there was congr- a congressional vote on the embargo, uh, but embargoes seldom ever achieve their desired ends. And, you know, we've got a whole messed up, uh, a whole messed up policy, uh, Don, with, with sugar subsidies and uh, keeping out the Cuban goods that's not doing anyone any good. So uh, I don't like the way he went about it. Like, I don't like the way he goes about anything. But the policy outlived its usefulness, so it's time to move beyond it. Uh, And, you know, look, look at the current state of the United States here. Uh, Erosion of civil rights and mass spying on citizens. Every citizen, you're a target, I'm a target. Um, And both parties embrace this. So how much better is the country than Cuba? Granted, we don't throw people in jail yet for having contrary uh, political views, but how much further is that off in the future? Uh, I think we've lost the moral superiority or a large portion of it uh, that we once possessed as far as the Cuban regime, which is a murderous thugocracy that has killed tens of thousands of political opponents and alleged political opponents. But we've lost some of the moral high ground here, Don. So, you know, the U.S. ain't what it used to be in terms of, you know, the land of the free and the home of the brave. So maybe this is just where it's heading. Well, I have to tell you two things. Uh, One, uh, since this program is a small business program, um, uh, uh, there's a whole new cottage industry going to grow up, but all of those ancient cars in Cuba um, are going to make instant millionaires of Cubans who own them. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, 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 And and the the other thing that uh, was to me is uh, it, it's a neat way for President Obama to get rid of uh, Guantanamo Bay by simply turning it back to the Cubans. So that, I think, <laughs> will require congressional action. And, and you know, he made a campaign problem, promise to uh, close it, but this might be, a, a, as someone told me, this is the backdoor way for him to achieve it. <coughs> Uh, uh, Terry, you you you've been an entrepreneur. You've been a, what are the lessons you've learned in life about being a good entrepreneur? I'm here, Don. Are you there? I'm yes, sorry. Yes, I am. We lost, we lost you. Somehow yeah. we lost. You. So yep, I'm here so, now. My, my question was, um, um, as an entrepreneur, what have you learned over life? Um, uh, that uh, you would like some parts for our audience. 59% well, of our president and our leaders. You know, uh, being a serial entrepreneur, it's been the best experience of my life, and at times it's been the worst. Um, it's a roller coaster. It, it's, uh, sometimes you wonder why you're doing it, especially in the current economic environment where the government has totally turned on the private sector and, you know, where 
basically the current administration and the one before it to some extent had totally repudiated all reasonable economic uh, principles and laws and totally denied their existence. But on the other hand, you know, being an entrepreneur means taking control of your fate, uh, putting your money where your mouth is, and making a statement and taking a stand. And if you're not willing to do those things, you shouldn't do it. But it is the greatest thing in the world. And, you know, it's why countries live and expand and become prosperous. And when you lose it, it's why they die. And, you know, there's nothing else in the world I'd rather do. I'm fourth-generation entrepreneur, Don. Uh, Great-grandparents came here from... uh, over in Europe, uh, various places, and, uh, you know, they became entrepreneurs, uh, never worked for anybody, and managed to keep the bloodline pure until my children were all working for corporations, and I totally don't understand it. I feel like I didn't teach them anything. But sum it up, entrepreneurialism, what made the country great, not working for big corporations, and, you know, in times like this, you know, if you can find the right niche and you can keep your values, you can still make it regardless. You know, you brought up an interesting point, Terry. Uh, we, we have found in our studies and talking to other people that a lot of children of entrepreneurs don't want to go into family businesses. There are more family businesses available today than any time in the, in the last uh, 15 years. You you wonder why they don't want to continue it or go out on their own. Do you have any thoughts on that, Terry? Yeah, well, you know, um, let's face it. uh, When you're in a family business, now, I've been in a bunch of different ones, uh, with family members and without family members, and the ones without family members, much better, much more satisfying. Uh, family members, you bring all of your family baggage there. And, um, you know, it's not unusual for families to be torn apart by conflicts in family businesses. And even if everybody's honest and above board and does what they're supposed to do, there still can be resentments that build up in family businesses and really come up and and really injure family relationships. And I believe, and I think you do too, Don, that family relationships are the most important thing in this world because you have your friends and they may or may not be with you through tough times. But your family, you keep those relationships intact. Your family will always be with you through thick and thin. But you, you go in a family business and things blow up and you go through these conflicts and you injure those relationships and then you can't count on your family. It's really bad. So a lot of children have seen these ups and downs and they've seen their uncles and their fathers have falling outs that last throughout a lifetime. And, and they see the uh, hardships and the pains of making a payroll and they say it's not for me, even though even though now the business might be prosperous and uh, and their families might be doing quite well, 
they made the decision, you know what, uh, I'd rather go work in a corporation where I don't have to worry about the paycheck at the end of the week. But I believe that the security and the uh, compromises that they make there, the the security that they think they're getting is a false sense of security, and the compromises that they make, uh, you know, the trade-offs, they're not really getting what they think they're getting. So I think it's a failure on the part of the parents to really communicate the benefits of entrepreneurialism and family businesses and to explain to them the sacrifices that have been made and why they're worthwhile uh, and how the how the benefits outweighed the uh, outweigh the burdens. I agree with you. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's really interesting. Uh, I've been on the corporate side and I'm on the entrepreneur side, and I always prefer the entrepreneur side. But then again, as you keep saying, the world has changed. Uh, if our um, listeners want to talk further with you or uh, uh, learn a little bit more about you, uh, tell us how they can. Oh, sure. Uh, well, got a website, and I have a internet radio show. Uh, you can find both on financialsurvivalnetwork.com. You can sign up for our free newsletter there. We've got free webinars going on all the time. We've got one later on this month about precious metals that you really should take a look at. And you can always send me an email at khl at kerrylutz.com, khl at k-e-r-r-y, L-U-T-Z dot com, and, you know, love to talk to anybody, love to mentor up-and-coming entrepreneurs because they're the future, and uh, there's just such a wealth of opportunity and experience and uh, and just great things that are out there if you're willing to just just uh, jump into the uh, shark tank, as it were. Well, uh Always a pleasure having you on the show. We're going to invite you back next year to talk further. Maybe make you uh, one of our regulars. Hey, love uh-huh. to, man. <laughs> it's really fun. Uh, always enjoy speaking with you too, Don. And uh, great luck with the show. And happy and healthy New Year to you and yours. You, you got it. You, you too, Barry. Talk to you soon. Our next guest is joining us. is Joe Whaley. He's a West Point graduate who has built uh, what my wife says is the best chocolate uh, at a recent show. Joe, welcome to the program. Thanks very much, Don. How are you? I'm fine. Joe, as we ask all uh, guests, tell us a little bit about yourself personally before we go into anything else. Sure. I um, my, my 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 father uh, started a, a chocolate company under the name Fifth Avenue Chocolate in, in 1973. And I was born in in '74, so I, I I have chocolate in the veins, as they say. I'm literally born into the business. Um, grew up on, on Long Island in, in Northport, uh, New York. On Long Island, went to St. Anthony's High School, and uh, then went to uh, West Point. After that, um, did a couple of years active duty, and then uh, I'm still actually in the uh, National Guard. I'll get promoted to Lieutenant Colonel here in in the fall uh, in, in the National Guard. So I almost have my 20 years in between active and and reserve time. Did a couple of stints overseas, um, uh, 
the latest one really being in in 04, 05 when we did a 20 month stint over in Iraq, and, and then uh, pulled my father out of retirement to run the company for me while I was gone, and and now uh, I am. Living in Rockville Center, New York, I have uh, four small children, uh, the oldest being eight. So I have an eight-year-old, a five-year-old, a four-year-old, and a and an 18-month-old. So it keeps me pretty busy. Oh, so you, uh, it's ironic. Uh, you mentioned I hadn't realized, but uh, I actually remember Fifth Avenue Chocolate um, in, a, in a funny way, which we don't have to go into detail. Um, so now you're the second generation. Um, as you might have heard from the our, our previous uh, uh, guest, that's an old program that I like to rerun because it's amazing how prescient he was about things. But um, uh, um, you you followed, unlike a lot of younger generations who don't want anything to do with the family business, you you uh, chose to go into it. Uh, why was that, Joe? I just loved it. I, I, I mean, I, from the time I was four years old, when we had a small little factory in a garage, quite honestly, and, and we were supporting a small shop in, in Manhattan under the Fifth Avenue name, uh, I, I couldn't get enough of it. I, I think it really taught me uh, a great work work ethic. And quite honestly, if my father hadn't uh, hadn't been so forceful in forcing me to go to college, I, I probably would have gone straight from high school uh, straight to running the company. I, I always loved it. I loved working with my dad. I loved uh, working with the customers. I loved coming up with new ideas. Uh, I, I, I just, honestly, I just always, uh, always loved it from when I was a little boy. Well, you know, my wife is a real connoisseur of uh, chocolate, and when we saw you at the franchise show, um, we were amazed by the quality of your chocolate. Um, what are the main drivers in your business that made you decide? Uh, um, it's obviously quality chocolate, but let's talk about that first, then talk about franchising. But first, what 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 makes a good chocolate, and what what makes yours unique? So it's really the the cocoa content and and where the cocoa beans uh, originate from. Um, we we. Um we use all imported Belgium chocolate, uh, and we blend it with uh, some of my dad's uh, old family recipes. But uh, everything is handmade still. I mean, we, we use very, very little uh, machinery uh, in the process. Um, it's all fresh butter, fresh cream, uh, all, all completely natural ingredients. Um, so that, that that's the quality of it. And, and we're still fairly small, so... Um, we do small batch runs, so we we don't have. Uh, although the shelf life on chocolate is actually, you know, six months we say for for most of it. I mean, it never lasts that long, so we, we're we're constantly producing. Uh, also, the uniqueness of it is that we we customize just about anything. So we do work for 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 all sorts of corporations, from American Express to Citibank to most of the Fortune 500 companies, where we'll actually take their logo and and imprint it right onto a chocolate bar, and then surround it by some of our gourmet truffles or something else. So it's it's really um, it's really a unique process. And 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 on the franchise side, what makes us so unique is that we have a couple of different revenue streams to the model. So the original model that my dad had started back in 1973 kind of kind of changed course courses over the years. Um and some of it was just uh was just luck, I would say. So we always were just a small mom and pop retail store. Uh we had a store at 510 Madison Avenue for over 30 years um right on 52nd Street at Madison Avenue. It was a small little shoebox of a store. 
Um, but we were able to pump out some pretty good volume out of that store. Um, when I came back from Iraq, in, in I guess the last iteration was in 2006, uh, my landlord in Long Island City for my factory at the time said to me, hey, I'm going to do you the biggest favor of your life. And, and I said, well, what's that? And he said, I'm going to triple your rent. <laughs> and I kind of <laughs> chuckled. I kind of chuckled and said, "How is that doing, doing me the biggest favor of my life? I'm just back from a, a tour overseas. I'm losing my lease at 510 Madison Avenue because we're at the end of our term there. You're killing me here." And he said, "No, I'm being dead serious." He said, "It was it, at this time. It was actually a little bit later. I said 2006. This is 2008. He said, all the markets are collapsing. Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers and and, and all of Merrill Lynch. They're they're all disappearing around me. And some of them were my my biggest and finest corporate customers. So." I was nervous to begin with, and he said, but he said to me, and he kind of in a calm, reassuring manner, uh, he said, you know, if, you, if only your dad had bought a building like my dad did 30 years ago, uh, he would have owned this building and nine others around it. He said, you're young, you're hungry, you're aggressive, you're, I see what you're doing with the business, go out there and buy something now. To, to where you could really turn it into your own. And so we did that. Uh, we bought a small um, factory in Valley Stream, Long Island. I was able to put a couple of retail stores on the front of that, and those retail tenants were kind of paying my mortgage on the building, if you will, so I was able to, to really optimize uh, the factory in the back. We had a 6,000-square-foot factory in the back, uh, and that was right around the same time that me and my wife started wanting to have kids, and she was a New York City school teacher. She did not want to go back to teaching while she was pregnant, so she said, look, you have extra space here. Why don't we do children's birthday parties? So that was where the kind of the new model of Chocolate Works kind of evolved. So now we had a, you know, still the, the, the retail concept of, of chocolate and candy and ice cream and everything retail. We had the birthday party component, um, and then we had obviously the corporate and, and now the new, uh, the new website as well. So the four different revenue streams really, really worked. And we had a lot of different people coming from all over the place saying, hey, this is the best thing in the world. I mean, they, they're using, you know, the I Love Lucy style enrobing machine, or as the kids call it, the chocolate car wash, and it's very hands-on and do-it-yourself. And they uh, they really uh, fell in love with it. And so we started having inquiries for, from people that wanted to open up their own shops. Um, so I did te two test licensing agreements, one in Scarsdale, um, obviously very affluent suburban area. The other one we had, obviously, in Valley Stream, which was kind of low demographic uh, suburban area. And the, uh, the third was on the corner of 91st in Amsterdam. And once we kind of worked out all the kinks to all those, uh, we still had a lot of inquiries from other people that, that said this is really amazing and it was working well for the two licensees that I had. So we hired the iFranchise Group, which is a consulting group out of Chicago, and they kind of put a formalized program together, and, and we started uh, we started selling franchises. Hmm. Uh, how many? Fr oh, first off, tell people what the, the con what your concept is. I, I made the mistake. I should have said said this as well because it's really interesting. Uh, what is your uh, chocolate works, and what is the the idea? So chocolate works, like I said, it's 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 a it's a four revenue stream model. It's a very very hands on. Um, we we have proprietary machinery that we put in every single retail store. The average square foot of a retail store is about fifteen hundred square feet. We go into shopping malls. We go into standalone shopping centers. We go, uh, you know, in the, in the middle of Manhattan, we have a couple of stores. We have uh, twenty one open units now and a bunch more on the way. Um, mainly. 
in the um, tri-state area, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Pennsylvania. We just did a test pilot in, in Missouri uh, in, in the fall, and we'll start now selling all over the place. But it's a very hands-on do-it-yourself you can come in and make your own candy bar. You can come in and make your own uh, chocolate pretzels like the I Love Lucy uh, episode years back. Uh, kids can have birthday parties. Well, Women uh, can have... Uh, let me stop you right there, Joe. Sure. Uh, uh, please tell us what, what that famous episode's about because it's re- very interesting and it'll help people relate to Sure. To what the, you're Lucille Ball was uh, working in a chocolate factory. And there's a big chocolate conveyor belt, uh, which was pumping out, I think, chocolate cherries at the time. And somebody, uh, Ethel, somebody sped up the belt, and Lucy was trying to take them as fast as she could off the off the back end of the belt. And so she kept popping them in her, in her mouth and in her mouth and in her mouth, and they were going all over the place. So it's very much like that. I mean, we have a 20-foot um, chocolate enrobing machine in, in every store. Uh, the kids all call it the chocolate car wash. You'll see chocolate pretzels and Oreos and graham crackers and, and, and clusters and cherries and everything go uh, through the chocolate car wash, as they call it. It'll get coated in chocolate. It'll go onto a white cooling belt, and people will sprinkle, uh, you know, M&Ms or sprinkles or different toppings. Sea salt caramels are super, super popular nowadays. Uh, they'll sprinkle the salt right right on top of it, and then it'll go into a big, long cooling tunnel, and it'll come out uh, hardened on the other end. And, and they can pick it up and, and eat it right there, or does it go on from there? Uh, they can know they can come they can if it's a party or a workshop or a different event they can definitely eat it right there we also have a big three-foot chocolate fountain right in the store where they can dip chocolate covered strawberries and bananas and pineapples and pretzel rods and marshmallows and other things or they can they can make a pound and bring it home uh, nothing more uh nothing more unique than than bringing something to your loved one or 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 I used to, you know, love going to see my my grandmother in in the nursing home and bringing her boxes and and, and literally letting her know that I physically made it myself because it puts a little homemade touch to it. Ah. Uh, so that, and, and so there's there's three there's the box there's four uh, revenue streams the take home the the party or uh, inside. Uh, what are the other two? I'm sorry. Um, uh, because you have a fascinating uh, uh, idea and uh, uh, and a great product, and that's why we wanted you on the show. Thank you very much. Yeah, the third the third revenue stream is is the corporate gifting. Uh, we have a whole corporate catalog where we do um, we do all sorts of branding uh, for different corporations. We'll do baskets. We'll do uh, and the beauty of that is that if a franchisee they have the capabilities to do that right in their own store. We'll help them make the molds uh, or, or sugar paper or some of the other technologies that we have. So they can do it right there in their store. But if they got an order for 1,000 pieces or 5,000 pieces or something greater than that that they couldn't handle in their store, they just kick it right back to my factory, and we produce it for them, and we can drop ship it all over the country if it's for individual packages. Um, we're, we're one of the largest uh, UPS and FedEx shippers on Long Island. We, I mean, we ship about um, 4,500 packages a day uh, from from you know mid-November to uh, to to January 1st. So we 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 we're a pretty big shipper. Uh, and then uh, the fourth revenue stream, which we're just starting to tap into now, we just we're launching our brand new website um, in October here. So. Uh, will be will be the internet and and the craze on the internet and the food products and everybody seems to be going more and more in that direction. Um, 
So we're we're hoping to, to be a real online presence and, and and compete with the edible arrangements and the and the Sherry's Berries and some of the other big players that are out there in the world. Um, let's um, let's talk about that for a second. Obviously, um, the brick and mortar is being uh, cannibalized by the internet. How do you work with your uh, franchisees? Uh, uh, or we will work with them with your new site. Will you give them uh, references uh, for people in their area who uh, 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 order from you, or uh, is that uh, how no. are you going to do yeah, that? Yeah, no, no, we're very franchisee. We're very targeted towards the franchisee in, in this particular case. So we're we're trying to gear and steer as much business to them as we possibly can. Our uh, our model is a little bit different than the edible arrangements and the pro flowers and the one eight hundred flowers in that you know some we have some franchisees in the system that really they don 't want to do their own fulfillment of uh, of orders they don 't want to do the shipping they they don 't want to do some of that stuff so in that case they have a back end toggle switch where they can kick the order right back to corporate we fulfill it and we do a revenue share with them uh, for those franchisees that are really, really aggressive and, and, and want all that business for themselves, they fulfill their own orders. So every franchisee has a microsite uh, on our master franchise page, where, and they'll be able to book birthday parties and book events and do the um, the fulfillment of their own orders. Hmm. Well, I noticed that you, you're very careful and you test everything before going. Uh, uh, first, let's start. Why did you choose iFranchising? Um, and, and, uh, there's five, six, seven, ten of those uh, uh, companies around. What made you decide on them? Uh, I, I had done a bunch of extensive research and talked to a few different people um, who were franchisors, uh, and they had some some really great things to say about them. Harold Kastenbaum is a really uh, unbelievable franchise attorney. Everybody says that he really wrote the, the franchise law. Um, and so he uh, he obviously had recommended I Franchise Group. Uh, certain different franchise sales reps were all gearing me more towards them. Uh, I liked their approach to it. I liked the fact that um, it wasn't an automatic. I mean, it wasn't like I just sign up and I write them a check and I'm you know. It was as much about them interviewing me as it was them you know uh, me interviewing them. Uh, so they were. I, I felt like it was it was more of a you know as much as I was picking them they were they were picking me and kind of endorsing my system, so they flew out and actually checked out some of the stores and uh, you know made some recommendations and and really got down and dirty on 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 can a franchisee really make money in this model and and where are they making their money mainly and are they doing the production themselves or are they kicking it back and they really really analyzed it. They they put together a really in-depth training program for me to, to set those franchisees up for success. And that training program, well, I was used to the training program of, all right, I'll teach them how to use the machines and how to wait on customers and how to rotate stock and, and how to do their inventory and how to make chocolate. And they were going much more in-depth on, okay, uh, on top of all that, you need to make sure that they know how to do a P&L and they know how to do their payroll reports and they know how to do all this stuff to make sure that their costs of goods sold and their rent and their uh, employee fees and their whatever less, you know, that, that, that there's still money left over at the end of the day for them. So they, they really helped with that aspect of it. Um, what, um, uh, uh, what What is the average or uh, – who buys your franchises? That's really a, a great question, Don. We have 
everybody that you can think of. So we have, uh, you know, a, 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 a housewife that that that's their kids are, are are slightly older now and they're looking to get back into the workforce, but they don't really want to go back um, into the workforce. They want to do something on their own. Um, a lot of teachers, obviously, are very very drawn to the birthday party aspect of it and working with kids and 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 um we have uh, you know hedge fund uh, guys that are just doing it for an investment they've always wanted to own their own business we have a neurosurgeon that 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 decided that he wanted to own own his own own business so we're 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 very very diversified we have husband and wife teams we have um you know two families we it's it's really all over the place i'd say it's a 50-50 mix on on purely investment where I'm going to hire a manager and she's going to, or she or he is going to run my store versus, hey, we're looking for the next level in our careers. We're, we're both successful working for PricewaterhouseCooper or, or one of the larger financial institutions, and now we're looking to get out and do something on our own. It's really mixed, and it's all over the place. Well, um, what's a franchise fee? What does it cost? And... Um, uh, when do you start, on average, start uh, making back your investment? So our franchise fee is uh, $50,000. Um, there are um, the total, uh, with, with buying the machinery, buying the inventory, doing the build-out, signage, legal fees, accounting fees, uh, we, we, we generally recommend to our franchisees uh, and tell them that uh, on average um, it costs about between three hundred and three hundred and fifty thousand dollars to open up a store um, and we really do it turnkey so that on day one they're starting to see some some benefits for opening up their store um, so uh, I mean generally if the the rule in franchising is that you should have a you know three year return on investment uh and that's what we we obviously aim for in some cases it's less in some cases it's more it just depends on it depends on location it depends on how good the franchisee is it depends on sometimes staff it depends on uh, I always say that the biggest determining factor is uh, am I opening up this store um to stay within the brick and mortar walls of my store, or am I going to go out there and networking and and, and get the corporate business and, and and join the chamber of commerce and and get really get in with the with the local schools? Um, those that are out there outside in the community networking are much more successful than those that are just sitting within the confines of their store. Well, uh, that's a question. I notice a lot of places have uh, um, a lot of schools have. Uh, uh, chocolate sales and sales of various products. Do, do you do some of that as well? Is it, is it profitable for you and for the school? So we do uh, certain. We we we're now we just bought some new machineries like uh, like a flow wrap machine to do some candy bars and single wrap pretzels and some of that stuff. So we are just starting to get into the fundraising aspect of this. So I can't really comment too much honestly because we're we're, we're just testing it now. Um, we do certainly do some, you know, open houses at nighttime in our stores, which are really fun, and we'll just close them off to the public, and we'll let a school or, or a charity or something take over, and, you know, we'll, 
put out some, obviously they'll bring some wine and we'll put out some food dishes and we'll let them use the chocolate fountain and whatever they want. And whatever they buy, whatever proceeds from that night, um, we'll donate 20 to 25% back to whatever charity. So that's one way that, that's been pretty good for us and definitely good for, for, for the school and certainly good for getting the name out there a little bit. Well, uh, let me go uh, sideways for a minute. Um, uh, you're a military man, soon to be a light colonel. Um, what have you learned from the military that you've been able to apply to uh, to your business and vice versa? Sure. I mean, uh, I think, um, you know, obviously – I've commanded, you know, many, many, uh, many, many. I'm an infantry soldier, so I, I commanded many, many men. So at, at the height, I, I had 135 under my command, under my direct command. When I was a battalion XO, I had 1,100 people. I was second in command at that point, so not first in command. But so obviously, with that many people, there's a lot of different jobs, and there's a lot of different responsibilities, and there's a lot of different personalities. Most importantly, there's a lot of different personalities. And it's how you can mesh and handle all those different personalities and get them to work together as a team. And, and that really helped me translate into the business world because on a smaller level, um, you know, I, I have a factory with a lot of different personalities. And, and so you need, to, you need to know when to put two people together or separate two people because there's a conflict of interest or, or there's or different things. From a, from a personal level, obviously, you know, you're – the work ethic that the military teaches you um, certainly uh, definitely helps me in in, in the uh, in, in the business sense. The overcoming adversity. I mean, uh, I don't think I ever could have maintained and done what I did in my, in, in the business world had I not seen some of the you know horrific uh, things that I had to deal with while we were you know serving in Iraq. Obviously. You know, I lost uh, 19 guys with with my battalion overseas in, in Iraq. We were there at the height of the war. Um, you know, right while while we weren't in Fallujah, we were there while the whole Fallujah thing when 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 we were losing you know 100 110 per month. So, I lost 19 really good buddies. Um, uh, tons more, 58 or 62. Uh, you know, others seriously wounded from from my from a group of 680. So if you pile that up, we, you know, over 10% of the guys that we went over with, um, you know, didn't come back the same. Uh, I'd say nobody probably came back the same. So dealing with that adversity and, and, and overcoming that and then having to put everything back together when you came home again and, you know, realize that you had to kind of leave some of that stuff behind and, 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 you know, be a good husband, be a good father, be a good businessman and, and, and be a, you know, a good son or whatever else. So some of those things really taught you, uh, you know, great life experience. When, what do you look for uh, within your factory and your group? What do you look for as, uh, as employees? You, you, uh, for instance, you had a very good salesman working uh, with you at the show that we attended. And we thought he did a very excellent job. Um, what do you look for in a small uh in an employee i mean we I, I interview every employee that we hire i mean it seems crazy and some of my uh staff thinks think think i'm nuts from from the the guy that's going to put the uh the pretzel on the enrobing machine to the guy that's going to clean the bathroom i mean i like to get to know everybody and i like to know what they're about and 
you know, where they're coming from and where, you know, what, do they have family and, and what are their long-term goals? And I'm hoping that, you know, the sweeper doesn't want to be a sweeper forever, that he's got some ambition. I'm really looking for ambitious people that portray uh, the same work ethic that, that I've always had. Um, I, I want people that if, you know, if something goes wrong, if, if, uh, if a machine breaks down and we have to hand dip, you know, 20,000 pretzels and we need to stay until midnight, I, I want to know that I'm going to have, you know, a team, much like I had a team in, in the military. I, I never had to wonder whether the guy to my right or left was going to, uh, you know, kind of bunker down behind the Humvee or whether he's going to hop up and start shooting back. I mean, I never had to worry about my back, not once. And so I kind of look for those same people here the people with incredible work ethics, the people that don't necessarily uh, shut their phones off on the weekends, the, the people that are always answering emails if, if, if a franchisee needs something, um, the, the kind of uh, the, the, just the, the same attitude and work ethic and, and honesty and, and ethos that I have. Well, they often say that franchises fail because they don't learn how to pick people uh, in the how do you uh, address a franchisee with those questions? Uh, as far as staff, or are you talking more from yeah, the franchisor to the franchisee? Uh, the franchise, when a franchisee is is uh, starting to to develop um, his or her business, uh, do you talk to them about how to hire and? Uh, pass on some of your ideas or do you we do i mean I, the, the number one thing my dad always always had taught me uh growing up was that uh he, he used to always have a quote and he and he would say there's no such there's no such thing as cheap help and he said and so i would always ask well, what that means and i try to explain that to my franchisees and 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 if you if you think about it, if you can pay somebody uh ten dollars an hour uh, because that's what starbucks is doing or you pay them twelve dollars an hour Generally speaking, I'm going to get more qualified, more hardworking people for the $12 an hour, $15 an hour, $20 an hour, or what the, whatever the salary uh, calls for. So uh, we always try to go above and beyond, and, and we, we try to get people who are, who are really hungry, who are really passionate. Um, you know, a lot of times we look uh, in, in, the, in the culinary world, which is a, a pretty tough profession uh, to get into, you know, we look for some of those, uh, you know, struggling chefs and struggling, the hardworking, they're, they're trying to get a name out there, they're trying to do something, they really are crafty, they love their field. Uh, so a lot of times those those might be. In some cases you might have, uh, you know, like I said, a, a, a mom uh, who, whose kids are grown up, who's looking just for part-time stuff here and there, who happens to be really, really dedicated and loyal and, and, and loves, to, loves to cook and bake and put her own touch on things. So... Uh, yeah, we do a lot of training on that. It is definitely 100% the hardest thing that we deal with that I think every franchise and every small business uh, around the world deals with. I mean, employees are the number one factor that are going to either make you or break you because they're the ones interacting with your customers on a daily basis. I also try to use different stories from from, from my own past and in, 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 in how my dad taught us to, to handle customer service and, and how to you know that it that it really is the customer is really always first and and how you know if if you if you treat them right they will be long-term customers and treat you right and the 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 word will spread i mean i've seen 
you know, many, many businesses in New York City with the rents escalating uh, tremendously come and go. And, and we're still standing there. And I, I think the reason why we're still standing there 43 years later is because my dad and I have built a reputation for really dealing and doing the right thing by the customers. I, I once had a, uh, we, we deal with the Japan Airlines and All Nippon Airways and a couple of different airlines. And we shipped um, something out to um, California, and it was delayed via UPS, uh, really no fault of our, our own. I mean, we, we shipped it on time. It was supposed to go overnight, and there was a storm or something, and UPS didn't get it there in time. And it was in the middle of the summer, so it melted. And so we could have easily taken the approach, well, we'll just file a, a, a claim with UPS, but the customer doesn't want to hear that. They need it for their flights. They need it for their cust- for their own customers to make their own. So literally I hopped on a flight to California that same afternoon, a very expensive flight with their 50 or 60 boxes of chocolate to make sure that we were able to keep the customer. And from that customer, then it then then our business spread because then the the California people were so impre- impressed that they told Texas and Texas told Chicago and Chicago told told New York, and now we service you know the Japan Airlines and All Nippon Airways in six or seven different cities uh, around the country, and it's uh, you know it's it, it's a testament to to that customer service on on what could have been a very very bad day that turned into a very very good day in the end. Uh, is your father still involved with the business? So he is. Um, he is very much still involved. He's more of a. Uh, he's more of a mentor at this point, or you know, he he's more of a, um, an outside uh, mentor. I'll call him up for for you know different elements of the business when I have different questions on whether it's worth buying a new machine or doing this or doing that or. Uh, or if I have a, a hard time deciding whether I want to let a new franchisee into the system or whether I want to uh, open up a new market. Dude, that is it worth, uh, you know, really going to California? And can you help me figure out how we're going to make this work with shipping product out there? And I still need to make sure the franchisee uh, on the West Coast is is profitable and everything else. So more of that, I mean, he still will come to my retail store on, on, on the Upper East Side probably two to three days a week, Um uh, in the fourth quarter for the for the holiday season, because uh, he likes to see all his old customers and and um, take them to lunch and and mingle. I mean, he's he's a very social guy, so he likes to uh, he likes to see and talk to his old customers. And there's certain certain ones of those old customers that that only will talk to him. I mean, they they don't care that I'm his son or, or that somebody's an employee that's been here 20 years. They they want to talk to him because they know that he's going to handle the order right. So it's still important. He's still in good health, uh, thank God, and, and he does still help me out a lot. Hmm. That's good. Uh, one final question. If you, uh, what, what are the two things you would tell anybody uh, in small business in our audience uh, that you've learned that you, you think should be passed on uh, to other people? I would say, um, obviously, if it's a brick-and-mortar type of business that you're looking at, uh, location is obviously the key. I'm sure everybody hears that all the time, but it is absolute fact. Uh, I, I, every location that we've opened uh, from a corporate level, I would literally sit there with with a, with a clicker, uh, you know, almost uh, – almost like I was a sniper in the military and I would sit there for, 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 for a week straight and I would count the foot traffic every single Monday, 24 hours, Tuesday, 24 hours, Wednesday, 24 hours, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, so that I would get a real feel for 
what is the foot traffic, uh, what are the schools around here. Uh, in my particular business, everybody may be slightly different, but in, in my particular business, where are the schools, what are the businesses around here, what does what the local chamber of commerce look like, what, would they be accepting of this store, how many other chocolate stores are around here or other like businesses are around here. Uh, so that would be the, the first thing is that the location is key and location pretty much trumps everything. And then to never be closed-minded. I mean, so I, I tell a funny story how uh, I kind of missed the whole the whole organic craze. I, 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 people told me forever it was coming, it was coming, it was coming, and 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 I was just saying ah, it's a bunch of crap. I mean, we just need to focus on we need to focus on what we're good at, and 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 I think you have to op- always be open-minded and and add new products or services or a new employee or a new salesperson, and o- always be open-minded to change because the world is ever revolving and it, and it's changing faster with the internet than we than we can even imagine and social media is now huge and and yelp and reviews and online service and all this stuff is huge so i think you need to keep an open mind and always be willing to add new products or new services or new techniques or new or new or new fields or new employees um uh on that level are do you now offer organic chocolates we do. We still are on a limited basis, but we definitely are are, are getting there uh, stronger and stronger every day. So we offer uh, organic, and we offer nut free, and we offer gluten free and vegan free, and we offer a little bit of everything. We 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 don't want any customer to ever walk into our store and say, "I want this," without us having something to offer them. Well, then uh, again, the name of your business and, and where people can uh, reach you and your website. Sure, it's Chocolate Works. It's www.chocolateworks.com. Uh, and if anybody has any questions or anything, my email is joe at chocolateworks.com. Uh, joe, joe Whaley, thank you for joining us today. Uh, I certainly learned a lot, and I hope our audience did as well, and you were very forthcoming. We really appreciate your time. Great, Don. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. That, as you know, there was Joe Whaley of Chocolate Works. Uh, I th- thought he taught us an awful lot today. I want to thank you for joining us, and I hope to see you next week with more from smallbusinessdigest.net.